<laughs> so Tracy Martin comes up to me this morning and she says, did you get my email? I said, yeah. She said, because I was thinking, I got an email, I think. She said, oh, good, can we do it? I said, okay, time out. I'm not sure I got your email. <laughs> Run this one by me again. She said, well, remember the meeting we had where we talked about the inReach team stuff? I said, no, I really don't remember that either. She said, remember, you said you wouldn't forget. And I said, I'm telling you, you could have just stepped off Mars, Tracy. I have no clue what you're even remotely talking about, so why don't we just start from the beginning? And then she reminded me. And now I remember. <laughs> we have in this class uh, an inReach team, and it's a group of people who, when families are sick or, or someone's lost a loved one uh, uh, or, or someone's in the process of dealing with, with grief and some other issues, brings meals helps with transportation. Um, it's a real time to show that we're family and a real time to show our love for each other. And periodically, we don't take time to say, hey, time out, would you, people sign up for this so Tracy doesn't have to do it for the whole class. Um, uh, Tracy leads the ministry but shouldn't be the only one cooking and the only one transporting and all the rest because I know it's in the heart of a lot of us to do that. We just don't realize it's going on a lot and need to be called. And so there's a sheet that's going to be passed around, a sign-up sheet. If you're someone who's saying, hey, call me, Tracy, when there's a need and I'll see how I can fit in to help out with the class with someone who's, who, who needs that kind of help. So that sheet's being passed around this morning, and I would urge you to sign up if you can. A number of you have been in prayer for us for our trial. Um, we thank you for that more than you know. Uh, uh, we uh, are continuing our, our fight. Hopefully this week we'll finish the case. That's, that's the plan anyway, uh, which means that next week I'll actually know what I'm talking about when I have class. And we'll uh, uh, hopefully, no, I'm joking. We, we've, we've, we're there. We know what this is about. This is about Ephesians. But do keep us in your prayers because uh, uh, the last week is always a very tumultuous week. A number of you have prayed. Marcy showed up one day. I've had people from class at almost every day. And it makes it really interesting for me because I knew what I'd be teaching on this Sunday. I knew what I taught on last Sunday. And I'm up there and the bad guys have this woman on the stand Thursday when Marcy was there. And she was... Uh, um, she, she was, she was what? Irritating, Irritating is what Marcy thought she was. Um, <clears throat> she was, uh, um, she, she, she's, irritating. she was irritating. <laughs> and I cross-examined her for six or seven hours from nine in the morning till five in the evening. Um, so I'm sure she's somewhere telling people that I was quite irritating too. <laughs> Um, um, but uh, uh, it's just been really nice for me to be able to look out. I got to look out and see Marcy out there and, and think, okay, well now while I'm dealing with this irritating lady, I have to remember that I go to church and teach Marcy on Sunday, so I can't, <laughs> I can't deal with her. You know, I've got to really deal with her right. And uh, uh, <laughs> it's always kind of fun. No, um, 
but uh, I thank you all so much for your support and for your prayers. It's been real nice. We're going to finish the book of Ephesians this morning. If you need a lesson, raise your hand. And Linda Hudgens, I see, I think that's Linda back there, has got some. Down here, uh, Steve, and, and over there, and wherever, yeah, uh, the Rigsby's, Rhonda, we've got hands up. Um, okay, so we're going to finish the letters to the Ephesians. Now, do you realize what we've done? We've covered the Old Testament. We've covered the Apocrypha. We have done Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts and Letters, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians after this. We've already done Philippians. We get to cover Colossians. But we've done 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We need 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. We've done Hebrews, James. So we got 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, Jude and Revelation. Tw 12 books, yes, yeah, sing the song, that'll send them to the aisles, um, fleeing. Um, so we've got 12 left. We're just making it um, through here, and I appreciate so much all of your support. This means that probably next week into the week after, uh, maybe in two or three weeks, I'm going to be passing out ballots. I just want a sample idea of where we go from here for those who may still be interested in a class. So I'm going to list down three or four different classes. <laughs> uh, start all over. Well, I'll put that down as an option. Um, uh, but I will, I will put down three or four different options of things that sound to me like they, they could be things... Uh, uh, that I'd be interested in, and if y'all want to share any of those uh, uh, and put down either other ideas, then I'd love to get your responses because I need to be putting together where I go from here. Um, Ephesians, let's get to it. Now, this is, can we bring my, these lights down just a little bit so I can see the PowerPoint from my angle? Thank you. Ephesians, remember this is what I call a circular letter, not because I made that up, but because I've borrowed it from scholars. The idea is it's a letter that wasn't just sent to the church at Ephesus, but sent to a number of churches around that area. And so uh, it, it's not as personal as some of Paul's other writings, uh, but even still. Ephesus is this uh, red circle right here on the coast of Turkey. This is modern-day Turkey. We're looking at Istanbul's up here, um, modern Istanbul. Greece would be over there. Uh, you know, uh, the Middle East is down here. This is Israel over there near the tree. And this is modern Turkey. That's Ephesus. Look at the towns right around Ephesus that we know uh, about from reading the, the, the New Testament that we know were involved in church and Christian stuff. Smyrna is right up there. That's Miletus. We have Sardis. We have Laodicea. Just below Laodicea is Colossae, where the Colossian letter, also a circular letter, was sent. There are a lot of churches within walking range of where Paul sent this letter. And so there are a lot of people that he sent it to. The letter was divided up into two major sections. We have the doctrinal section and we have the practical section. Last week we looked at the doctrinal section, the first three chapters. This week we look at more practical. What does this mean? How does it apply to us today? I want to pull out from the doctrinal a couple of points that we need to keep in our brains as we look at the practical. From the doctrinal section, Paul was very emphatic about God calling us. God calls us in the sense that He, in, he, he wants us on the team. God calls us, but when God called us and, and brought us to the team, it's not, isn't that just a delightful picture? I'd pick her to be on my team just because of the smile. Um, uh, God calls us and brings us to the team, 
But I want to ask you this question. That the Almighty God and Creator of the universe calls you and me and says, I want you on my team. So what? The so what question. All right, fine. So he wants us on his team, we're on his team, so what? That's the question I want to ask you this morning. I want to ask you, so what? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? Each one of you, as we go down the aisle, what does it mean that God called you and put you on his team? So what? Well, the answer, Paul says, is, so what? You need to live a life worthy of the calling. If he called you to play first base, you need to be a good first baseman. If he called you to be a pitcher, you need to pitch well. If he called you to be a hitter, you need to hit the ball. If he called you to sweep the bases, you need to sweep the bases. You need to live a life worthy of the calling he's given you. Now, with that in mind, let me ask you a question. Reflect for a minute, and, and what I'm really doing right now is I'm giving you chapters 4, 5, and 6 in my own words. Okay? Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling. But when you do that, he says, you need to be careful and you need to do it remembering the tools that God has given you. The tools he's given you, first of all, he saved you. So you're living a life worthy of his calling, saved. You are in God's hands. You have eternal security. You have the almighty God creator of the universe saying, I will have you in my hand and heart and family for eternity. So you realize your salvation, but that's not the only tool that you've got as you figure out how to live a life worthy. The reason you're saved is because God resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead on your behalf, right? The power that God used to resurrect Jesus Christ, guess where that power is? It's in you. You have resurrection power within you. I have resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in me. The same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead dwells within the believer. So we've, we, we've got salvation. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead within us. And with those tools at our disposal, we're called to live a life worthy of the calling. Now, what kind of life can we live with the God of the universe putting us in His family for eternity and with the God of the universe putting the spirit of power within us? What kind of life is worthy of that calling? One that's humble. Isn't that almost the exact opposite of what you'd think in some ways? It's not one of, yeah, I've been called by God. You see, the calling of God, it came upon me. I have the spirit of power. It's not a Barney Fife type thing. Uh -huh. Yeah, Ange. Okay. It's not a Barney Fife thing at all. Completely Humble, completely humble, serving one another, signing up on Tracy Morgan's in-reach form, looking for ways that you can minister to each other, 
Lewis comes up to me, hey, what day can I come see you in trial? I just want to bless you. Yeah, I, what can I do for you? Well, not much right now because I'm in trial. But when I'm out of trial, how can we help fit in? What's going on in your life? Those are important questions. And, 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 and our lives, if we want to live a life worthy of the calling, then take that salvation we have and take that power, that resurrection power of the Spirit, and walk with complete humility, recognizing that it's what God's given us and it's what God's doing through us. And it's all about Him. It's not about me. Does that make sense? Not only to live this life worthy of the calling should we be completely humble, but we should be gentle. Gentle. That's a tough word in our age. Now, there are some people that are by nature very gentle, but there are some people by nature that are very rough. And, and, and what we're to do is to take whatever nature we've got but let God infuse us with His nature and start living. I can't be gentle. It just doesn't come natural to me. I'm a rough guy. I was brought up by rough parents. Well, wrong. Everyone who lives in God's hand has the spirit that had enough power to resurrect Jesus from the dead. That same spirit's at work in us and has enough power to move us in gentleness. We need to embrace that, and we need to be gentle people. We need to be humble. We need to be gentle. We need to be patient. We need to be patient. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we have five children. We've watched them grow up. They grow up differently. Some of our children never spilled milk. One of our children spilled milk if she was within three feet of it. <laughs> it's not the kind of thing where she would like hit it. I mean, she just, need, it's like me with cops and tickets. <laughs> yeah, nothing personal here, Ron, but you want to know if there's a cop within 30 miles? Let me drive. They home in on me. I'll drive so carefully for six months, and the one time in my life, for the last six months, that I accelerate. There are like five cops closing in on me like I've just robbed a bank. Okay, I don't understand it. That's the way it was with our daughter and milk, one of our daughters. She gets within six feet of milk, it's spilling. It's gone. You know, we'd have to say, uh, scoot the milk over. Here comes one of our daughters. She's going to be within the zone of six. Okay. How do you react when it just happens over and over and over and over again with the same kid? It's a patience builder. I mean, that may seem like a silly example, but I'm telling you, the third time in a meal, you just sort of want to lose some patience. And it's happened with this child three times in one meal. But bless her heart, she's just a little kid. And she's doing her best to, to grow up. But there's a trigger inside you that reacts a lot quicker because you're getting sick and tired of cleaning up the milk. But we're to be patient people. And that's what we want God to grow in us, patience. And we're to bear with one another in love. So if this is a life worthy of the calling, humility. Now that doesn't mean humility just until we reach a point where people need to know who we are and they're clearly not knowing who we are. And then it's time to set the humility aside because uh, they're not treating us right. 
Gentleness. That doesn't mean gentleness until we reach a point where roughness is needed. I worked for a man one time who told me, uh, Mark, I want to teach you how to do something. And I said, great. What am I going to learn? He said, you're going to learn how to fire somebody. And I said, ugh. And I said, I am? And he says, yep. He says, you know the secret to firing somebody? And I said, no. He said, if you fire them, they go file for unemployment. So you don't fire them. You go in and you abuse them so bad they quit. Then they can't file for unemployment. And I said, and I get to go watch? And he says, oh, yeah, because if I abuse them in front of you, it'll also humiliate them. And then they'll quit quicker. And so I walked in and I watched this gentleman, I know, I watched this fella humiliate a man for 15 minutes. And I mean, just dressed him down and convinced that in the process, the man looked at him and said, well, I mean, I guess I ought to quit if that's the way you feel. At which point, my boss said, okay, your resignation's accepted. Come on, Mark. And he got up and we walked out. We got outside the door and he said, see, that's how it's done. No, that's not how it's done. Right? Gentleness. Gentleness. Now, the, the most twisted part of the story is I was that, that my boss... I was a Sunday school teacher, and so <laughs> I must not have been doing it right <laughs> because I taught his class every Sunday, and this is, you know, I, I don't know. But that's not what we're supposed to be about. That's not what we're supposed to be about. We're to be gentle not just until we need roughness to get the right response. We're to be gentle people. That's the life worthy of the calling. We're to be patient people. We're to people be people in love or treat each other in love. Now... Paul goes on from there and he says, we do this because we're all one. We're united in the Spirit of God. Now here's a quiz for you. Okay? How many bodies are there? Bodies of Christ. How many? Ooh, y'all are good. How many spirits of God are there? Ooh. All right, for 200. How many hopes are there? Yeah. How many lords? How many faiths? Uh-huh. Well, how many denominations? All right. That's not on there. It wasn't in Ephesians. How many baptisms? Ah. How many gods and fathers? Oh, y'all are good. Um, interesting song on this that uh, I think we've got time for, so I want to play. This is a song by John Michael Talbot. And it's an interesting song because he grew up in an evangelical, no, in a Protestant home and became a Catholic, and, which is unusual. Usually it's a flip-flop. But as a Catholic, he still sings in a way that he sings for the church at large. He's a Catholic in the sense of a universal church, uh, even though he's within the Catholic church itself. And I'll save a discussion of that and his reasons and and explanations and my thoughts about it for another class because it's not appropriate. But it's really interesting to listen to him sing about this passage because he interjects within it uh, his view of the world, including what happened to the church and why we have a number of denominations in the midst of the truth of what Paul said. So listen to John Michael Talbot sing this song, One Faith, for a minute. 
the good shepherd And he's laid down his life for his sheep So out of many nations he's gathered one fold in one faith And he has built his church On the rock foundation of faith On apostles and prophets who shepherd the people in his place there is one faith, one hope, and one baptism, one God and Father of all. There is one church, one body, one life in the Spirit now given so freely to all. And he gave to Simon Peter and to all of the twelve The keys of the kingdom So darkness shall never prevail But some of the shepherds Pastured themselves on their sheep So he has come out against them And scattered his people of faith But there still is one faith, one hope and one baptism, one God and Father of all. There is one church, one body, one life, and the Spirit now giving so freely to He will shepherd his people On the mountain tops He feeds his sheep He will lead the
great song. It's, real, it's a great one to listen to in the car really loud. Um, so, I mean, this is what Paul's saying. Do we, can we look and see divisions? Can we look and see denominations? Can we look and see differences here and differences there? Absolutely. But in eternity's sake, there is one church. There is one body. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one hope. There is one baptism. There is, there is unity for God's people. And that was Jesus' prayer is that we would remember that and we would realize that and we would live that way. And what, what Paul is saying here in Ephesians is, you've got unity in the spirit. Okay? But Paul uses it to contrast something. That does not mean that God called us all as a united whole. See? There's unity in the spirit, but contrast it, distinguish it from how God met each one of us one-on-one. See? God's got the church, and the church is one body, and it is one Lord, and it is one faith, and it is one spirit, and it is one, 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 and it's united and should be that way. But God came to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and to you individually, and to me. And like a little child, we put our hand in His as He met us individually. And He not just meets us individually, but He gives each of us gifts individually so you have a different gift 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 all of us have different gifts he met us individually but the gifts that he gives us individually he gives for the unity of the church and for the good of each other and that neat the way it works this is not a simple thing this is God's movement among us as his body. So you look at your gifts and you see how your gifts plug in for the church. Pat Moore and I were talking last night. He's leaving to go work on men's ministry because he senses a call on his life for God to use him to get men involved in their local churches. Well, that's very biblical calling because God, not just men, not just women, not just young people, not just old people, not just middle-aged people, God has called all of us to take the gifts and the talents He's given us and to use them for the good of the body. So what does that mean? How do we do that? Well, he says different people have different gifts, and some are apostles or people who've been sent with a message. Some are prophets, some preachers, some pastors, some teachers. But it, the list goes on and on. Some are encouragers. Some are people of faith. Some are people who are just always there. I'll tell you, some of you are building up the church by coming to class. You sit there and you listen to class, and that alone builds up the church. Because when I get ready for this class... I am never, it never fails to touch me and to motivate me in my preparation that y'all are also incredible for coming. And I don't ever want to disappoint anybody that walks in that door by giving less than 100% of what I've got. So your very presence here is a gift to the church because it's a gift to me and it's a motivator for me. So you take, I mean, you got the ability to come to class. You've got a gift to give the church. You, you, so you take your gifts and you use them for the good of the church. Now, what does that mean, though? Paul gets very personal with it, and Paul talks about what it means in terms of teaching. 
Paul says, as John Michael Talbot said, there are some shepherds who've pastured themselves on their sheep. It's a line in the song. Well, there are people who use the church for themselves in bad ways, deceitful teachers. There are a number of churches where the people who are leading the church and the people who are preaching are doing it much more so for themselves in any number of ways than for the message of Christ. And Paul speaks out against that. Speaks out against that strongly. Because Paul says that what we need to be doing, whether we're teaching or anything else, is when we speak, we need to be speaking the truth, not deception. We speak the truth and we speak it in love. Truth can be spoken in love or in harshness. Paul says we don't need to speak the truth in harshness. The church needs to have a reputation for speaking the truth in love. I saw some preachers on Larry King um, some time ago. And Larry King's interviewing them. And, and I was so impressed with those preachers. Because they stood firm for what they believed. But they weren't harsh. They would answer Larry King's questions with truth, but they would do it in love and humility and gentleness. And I thought, man, that's what we need. That's what people need to see at our workplace. They need to, that's what people need to see in our neighborhoods. That's what people need to see in our lives, that we speak the truth. We don't deceive. We are not out for personal gain. We speak the truth, but we do it in love. And that's what Paul urges us to do. Speak the truth in love. Don't be the other thing. Now, Paul says, when you live your life, and this is all still the practical stuff, don't live in the darkness. Don't live in the darkness anymore. We're not in darkness. We're in the light. And we've got the light on our side. We've got the light of truth shining in us. We understand what the world is. We understand why it is the way it is. We understand the evil in the world. We understand the goodness in the world. And we understand the redemption in God. Those are basic things we understand as Christians, because it's been revealed to us by God. And if those are things that aren't clear in your brain, then we need to start the class over again because they start in Genesis chapter 1. And God lays it out for us very clearly in Scripture. But there are people who don't live in the light who live in the darkness. And these are people, Paul says, who live for each moment. They just live moment to moment to moment. Oh, they may be scheming about tomorrow. They may be scheming about next month or next year. But they're living moment by moment. And they're living for the lusts of their flesh. What is it that drives me right now? What is it that would give me pleasure? What is it I want? What are the desires for me right now? What is it that I want? I don't care if it's good. I don't care if it's bad. I don't care. Impurity is fine as long as it meets what I want right now or what I'm going to want tomorrow or next week or next month. That's living in darkness, Paul says. And we're not to live in darkness. We are to live a life of truth because it's the truth that set us free. It's the truth we have in Jesus. He is the way, but He's also the truth and the life. And He is the light of the world. He illuminates for us what God wants in this world. He illuminates for us and shows us clearly with brightness what it is to be a godly man or a godly woman on earth. And that's the life that we're to lead. So we put off falsehood. 
And we're not to be known as people of falsehood. We're to be known as people with truth. When we have anger, we resolve it. We figure out how to get past the anger. We don't live in it. We don't let it breed and fester within us. We work for what we need. We don't go around and steal from others or take from others or cajole others out of something. We speak wholesomely. We don't need to speak crassly. We don't need to speak obscenely. We can speak wholesomely to build each other up and be known for that. And that's what we need to do. That's living a life of truth. That's living and speaking and and being the kind of people who understand what's really going on in the world. We do understand there is a God. We do understand He made us. We do understand that He loves us enough to redeem us and to take us home to live with Him forever. And we do understand there's an enemy who doesn't like that. And we do understand there's an enemy who's trying to, to, to... ruin our lives and our happiness. And we turn our backs on the enemy and we walk in the light as he is in the light. And we love each other. And we love him. That's the truth. And that's what Paul says needs to permeate our lives. Now Paul's not giving here a list of rules. He's not saying, here are your rules, follow these 17 things and you'll be fine. Paul's saying, we're to live holy lives that glorify God. Lives worthy of the calling. Lives that are different than the world. We're to live life not of bitterness. Bitterness should not be ours. Raging anger should not be ours. Brawling, slander, speaking ill of people, that doesn't need to be us. None of those things need to be us. What we need to be are kind people, compassionate people, forgiving people. We're not to have sexual immorality, even a hint of it. That doesn't belong in our lives. We're living worthy of a calling of God Almighty. And that calling exceeds our sexual desires of the moment. We're not to be greedy people. We're not to be obscene people. Greedy people, oh, I want, I want, I want, I want. No, we're satisfied with what we have because we have the Spirit of God Almighty within us. And that's enough for me. We're not to be obscene people. God is not an obscene God. Should we be obscene when we are His people? Absolutely not. Live a life worthy of His calling. This is living as children of light, Paul says. We live to please our God and nobody else. We shine goodness to the world. Righteousness and truth. Not because we're holy Joes on our own, but because the spirit of power is within us. This is not because we're holier than thou and better than the world. It's because in spite of all of our impurities, we see a holy God who shines through us and to Him. And and as Keith Green says, and when I'm doing well, help me to never seek a crown for my reward is giving glory to you. And that's to be the attitude. Remember this started with humility. We expose darkness. We're to see that every moment we live, every moment is a moment of eternity. Every moment. Every moment is a moment of eternity that we never get to live again. Every decision we make is a decision we don't make again. Every opportunity we have is an opportunity we don't get again. This is where, if I wasn't worried about the obscenity, I would play Eminem's song, um, 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 what's the song? Well, if you only got one shot, da-da-da-da-da, would you blow it, da-da-da-da-da? 
It's the eight mile song, yeah. I, he's got the right questions there. He doesn't have the answers, but he's got the right questions. I'll give him that. Each is a moment in eternity. And so Paul says, because each moment you've got, don't spend your moments getting drunk with wine. Spend your moments getting drunk with the Spirit of God. You want fellowship. You want to drown yourself. Drown yourself in the Spirit of God. What's the Bono's line? Uh, uh, drown myself in sorrows till my sorrows learn to swim. Then it got worse, you know. Speak with encouragement to each other. Speak with Scripture. Sing songs to God. This is what we're to be about. We're, we're, we're living each moment in eternity with an understanding of eternity. Now this affects us also in our relationships, Paul says. He says husbands and wives, and he talks about it. Now he does so right before he, he says husbands and wives, he has this line, submit to one another. That's an important one. Because husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Dr. Bob came up to me before class and said, do you have this passage in there? And I brought Kelly because I expect you to tell Kelly she's supposed to submit to me and obey. I brought my Bible. Here it is. He says, I'd like you to spend extra time on it. I said, you really want me to do that? And he said, absolutely. I said, because I'll do it right now. And he said, I want you to do it. So, Bob, I've just done it. <laughs> now you get to live with it. Because the truth is that Paul says, husbands and wives love, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the best way I can illustrate that, and we got young people in here. I was taught this by a preacher when I was in a sophomore in high school. And it's hung into my brain since then. I was not married as a sophomore in high school. Um... But it's still stuck in my brain because it made good sense. And also because I saw it at home. But I want to tell you, this needs to stick in your brain, whether you're young or old. Because I think it's a wonderful illustration. And I'd love Lewis's comments on it if, if we had more time. Because I, 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 he sees this all the time. But Christ, husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church much like the sun provides light for the moon. The moon does not shine on its own. When we have a bright moon, where does the moon get its light? From the sun. It's reflecting the light of the sun. That's the way Christ was for the church. Christ never came to the church and said, okay, love me, respect me, honor me, submit to me, serve me. Christ came to the church and first modeled that behavior, much as the sun does light to the moon. Christ came to the church and said, let me love you. Let me serve you. Let me honor you. Let me take care of your needs. And we love him because he first loved us. And that's the way it's to be. The husbands have the biggest chore here because our responsibility is to model for the wives love and honor and respect and submission for the good of the family. This is not a power struggle in marriage. This is a service opportunity. Let me say that again. Marriage is never a power struggle. Should. <laughs> Marriage should never be a power struggle. Marriage should be seen as a service opportunity. How can I serve? Now the problem we get in in marriage is, you know, we're still human and, and what happens is, is you can only give so much and at which point your bank runs out of money and you got nothing left to give. 
And in the ideal marriage, both are given to each other so much that the deposits never run dry. And I don't have all the answers for you if you're in a relationship where it just seems you've run dry. But I can tell you this, that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead and He dwells in you. And you pray and you listen to God. And you seek godly counsel if you need it. And trust that God's going to help you through whatever you're going through. And I don't always know what that answer is. And I can't stand up here and speak in absolutes that answer every small situation. But, the, but for these absolutes, and they are that God loves you and that you're called to love Him and to model Him in your life. Same thing with children. They're to love and honor their parents. That doesn't mean only when they're young, though it does mean when they're young. But it means when they're older, too. It means it did, one of the greatest joys in my life is to try and show my mother how much I honor her and love her. And the same with my dad when he was alive. I see my sisters take the same joy. I mean, sometimes we have to fuss with her to keep her in line, but that's only because we love her. Um, children are to love and honor their parents. Parents are to train their children, not exasperate them, not drive them over the cliff. Okay? We're to train our children. Um, Paul speaks of slavery and says slaves are to respect their masters. And we don't have slavery today. These verses have been so abused by people in history to justify slavery. They don't justify slavery. Paul is merely speaking to an economic institution at the time. But Paul reminds the masters to remember that they're slaves to God too and that they're really not any better than the slave and they better be real careful in the way they treat the slaves. Um, and then Paul ends his Ephesian letter with a wonderful illustration that we need to remember and we need to remember it's in Ephesians. Paul says we're to put on the armor of Christ. Now this is what we wear. We're leaving here and we're going to go out into the world. We're leaving our fellowship here in a few minutes and we're going to go out into the world. And it starts in our own parking lot out here. But it gets even worse once we hit 1960. <laughs> and then we get to the restaurant where the first are not last and the last are not first, it seems. And, and so... We're going into the world here. And as we leave, we're to leave armed in Jesus Christ, wearing the armor of the Almighty Himself. And we've got our little Roman soldier here to show us the armor of Christ. He's wearing a belt with truth. That's how he's keeping himself together. He's, whoops. There goes the belt. The belt of truth. At the core of our being is the truth that guides our lives and holds us up, it's front and center. We have a breastplate of righteousness. We can stick our chest out proudly. Not righteousness we got on our own, but righteousness given to us of Jesus Christ. And that we can wear proudly. We've got our feet that can handle the snow, that can handle the mud, that can handle the rocks, that can handle the thistles. We can walk anywhere we want to walk because our feet have the good news of the peace of our lives and, and our future with Jesus Christ. Our feet are planted firmly in the, the good news, the gospel, that we are at peace with God. And I can stand anywhere in this world in the midst of anything if I know I'm at peace with my God. And that's what we have when we wear the armor of Christ. And we've got a shield of faith. And we need a shield because there is an enemy out there. And he's got 
darts and arrows that sting, that kill, that are flaming, that burn you, that sear you with pain. And we've got faith that says, I don't care what arrow comes my way. Jesus Christ is my God and I have the spirit of resurrection power within me and the God who created the universe holds me in his hand. And there's nothing that penetrates that because nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing, not anything. And that faith I've got. I've got a helmet of salvation. My head, the very top, the covering, is Jesus Christ saved me. And, and on that, I rest secure. And finally, I'm not without my own weapon. I have a sword. Because that spirit that indwells within me is able to go out and to deal with the problems of the world for me on my behalf. I'm not wielding my own sword. That spirit of resurrection power in me is going to take care of all of the problems that come my way if I will use it instead of my own two hands. My problem is... I just need to remember to use God's spirit and to walk his way. My temptation is to set it down and, hey, spirit of word of God, don't need that. I got my own two hands, you know. Got one fist of iron, the other of steel, and if the right one don't get you, then the left one will. <laughs> no, we've got the sword of the spirit and that's what we need. So what are our points for home? Unity. We are all one. And that's nice. You're my brothers and my sisters, and I love you. And it's not because you go to Champion Forest Baptist Church. Anyone in the world who is in Jesus Christ is family. Number two, let's live the light that we have. Let's just do it. Make a resolution. If something stuck out in your brain today, maybe the Spirit's been working in this, and He's saying to you, uh-huh, this is one I want you working on. We're, we're working on this one together. Okay, let's do it. Let's be brighter people. Let's shine the light better. Let Christ rule your relationships. Don't rule them on your own. And then wear him as you go out in the world. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for the blessing to come together. I thank you personally that you blessed me with a chance to share these messages. And I pray you will continue to work in my life as I've seen you work. Make me who you want me to be. Paint the canvas of my life with your gentleness, your humility, your love, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your purity. That's my prayer in my life. And it's my prayer for my brothers and sisters here. And I thank you for each and every one of you, them, and pray that you will bless them today and this week. In Jesus Christ, amen.